everyone welcome back to the podcast i'm so excited to join y'all for yet another week i know it's been kind of a couple different weeks with having the service project and then last week having the beach baptism which was the most mission hills experience i think i probably ever have and so if you see wayne uh, definitely extend a congratulations on getting baptized in the pacific ocean of all places as part of our community Um, so this week we return to services in person um, celebrating national coming out day and so we will get to a little bit about what that is, why it is celebrated. But first, I just want to share our text for this week that comes from Ruth 1, 6 through 18. And this is the Common English Bible reading. It says, Then she arose, along with her daughters-in-law, to return from the field of Moab. Because while she was in the territory of Moab, she heard that the Lord had paid attention to his people by providing food for them. She left the place where she had been, and her two daughters-in-law went with her, and they went along the road to return to the land of Judah. Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, turn back, each of you to the household of your mother. May the Lord deal faithfully with you, just as you have done with the dead and with me. May the Lord provide for you, so that you may find security, each woman in the household of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. But they replied to her, No, instead, we will return with you to your people. Naomi replied, Turn back, my daughters. Why would you go with me? Will there again be sons in my womb, that they would be husbands for you? Turn back, my daughters. Go. I'm too old for a husband. If I were to say that I have hope, even if I had a husband tonight, and even more if I were to bear sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you refrain from having a husband? No, my daughters. This is more bitter for me than for you, since the Lord's will has come out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth stayed with her. And Naomi said, Look, your sister-in-law is returning to her people and to her gods. Turn back after your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to abandon you. To turn back from following after you. Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do this to me, and more so if even death separates me from you. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her about it. The word of the Lord. Well, not to switch topics too dramatically, uh, but the first time that I came out was after three margaritas, sitting in a cold blue chair in the middle of Flacco's Tacos in Chicago. It was to my roommate, Shelby, and she met me with love and affirmation. A week later, sitting in the exact same chair, three margaritas deep again, I came out to my best friend, Kendall. We cried together and expressed nothing but love and acceptance. And this started me down a road towards eventually publicly coming out to my family, my church, changing which seminary I would attend, and eventually landing me here at Mission Hills. 
while I'm not particularly proud of what I felt like I needed to do before I could get to a point of being honest with someone else about what I had wrestled with in silence for the two years prior, it's as honest as I can get to my experience. And over the years, coming out to new people has looked different and thankfully with significantly less anxiety than the first few months. But even now, it's a continual process often met with looks of confusion when I also come out as a pastor. And I know we talk a great deal about LGBTQ affirmation and, of course, place a lot of emphasis on Pride Month in June. But remember, gospel isn't meant to be shared once, right? Especially a message of full affirmation of all people. And I hope that when we talk about LGBTQIA inclusion, everyone also realizes that By liberating those who have been excluded, oppressed, and oftentimes abused, by creating more acceptance for everyone, regardless of gender or orientation, we're also creating more inclusion for everyone. As we break out those who have been pushed to the margins the farthest, everyone else wins from this liberating work. And I firmly believe in Lila Watson's quote, If you've come here to help me, you are wasting your time. But if you've come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. We're bound up with one another. The whole body of Christ cries out if any part is oppressed. And in this, let me remind you that this message is for all of us, not just those still working towards figuring out LGBTQ inclusion. Let us never feel like we've figured it all out. And so in all of that, we get to come to this day in our calendar called National Coming Out Day and take some time to explore some queer interpretations of the biblical text. I know that especially if you are newer to Mission Hills, it may seem absurd at some times at how much we push and stretch outside the bounds of a typical conversation in church. But honestly, I would so much rather engage in the challenge than ever feel like we've arrived. So, I apologize if this is a long one, but I'm grateful that y'all are with me. So, just to give some history around this day that we're coming together on, uh, National Coming Out Day was founded by Robert Eichberg and Jean O'Leary on October 11th, 1988, um, in celebration of the Second National March for Equality. This was for people of all gender and sexual identities, and it happened first in Washington, D.C., And the purpose of this march and of this day is just promoting public awareness. Um, It celebrates all rights of all folks, um, and celebrating gender and sexuality is a good gift. And Solidarity Sunday, which will be the day that we are together, was initiated in 1995 by Dignity USA, a group of Catholics working for the full inclusion of LGBTQIA folks within the church and society. Um, This was partially in order to seek forgiveness and reconciliation for sins against LGBTQ persons standing in solidarity with persons of all gender and sexual identities. Um, The church is observed or urged to observe Solidarity Sunday on the Sunday preceding October 11th or with a special community service on that day. So this is what we are gathering around on Sunday. It's actually included in the Disciples of Christ calendar, and now it is truly included in ours. And of course, what a better time than to stretch our understanding once again. 
So if we return to this story, uh, Ruth was born to a pagan family. Um, she was connected to Naomi, um, Naomi being her mother-in-law, and more or less both Ruth's husband, Orpha's husband, and Naomi's husband all die. Um, and so they are basically responding to this collective grief um, that they're experiencing, and they're also experiencing the reality within the society of being a widow, which they were basically pushed to the far margin of society. Um, they were effectively given no worth in society uh, because this was based on husband, uh, the ability to bear a line, um, and also, of course, land ownership and all those kinds of things. And yet, so they are left more or less statusless, um, but Ruth is included as an ancestor of Jesus Christ, listed in his genealogy in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, this reports mostly a male lineage, but Ruth is one of only four women who are included outside of Mary. Um, these four women are Ruth, Rahab, Tamar, and Bathsheba. And each of them have a story that deviates a bit from the typical pure ideal that is held so highly in the traditional Christian church. This list is made up of Rahab, um, a woman who was a prostitute, um, a woman who pretended to be just Tamar. Uh, <laughs> Ruth is termed a sexually forward widow. And Bathsheba, of course, a woman who is taken in adultery. And yet, they are included in Christ's story. And if that doesn't say something about what really matters, I don't know what will. And as we look further in the text, the same Hebrew word, the bach, is used to describe Adam's feelings for Eve and Ruth's feelings for Naomi. In Genesis 2.24, it says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And so the way that Adam clinged to Eve is the way that Ruth clung to Naomi. Now this word is used throughout the New Testament to describe non-romantic love as well, but I do find it interesting, this choice of wording. There are some theologians and many wedding vows that take a queer interpretation of this text and go on to say that this is not merely a commitment of two women made family through their now deceased husbands, but to describe a fierce love between these two women. Many weddings between women use Ruth's words and commitments towards her mother-in-law in their own vows. And of course, Ruth's words also showed up in her actions. Ruth and her Israelite mother-in-law were so poor that Ruth had to survive by picking up leftover grains of barley in the field after harvest. But Ruth is so determined to take care of Naomi in unwavering commitment. She eventually later meets Boaz, a rich landowner who also happens to be related to Naomi. In due course, Ruth and Boaz are married and therefore securing Naomi's and Ruth's future prospects. And Ruth and Boaz also have a son, Obed, who would be an ancestor of King David and of King Jesus. Now, I love the queering of the story Ruth's marriage to Boaz also doesn't discount her queerness. Um, we can even speak to the history of queer folks using each other 
from the opposite sex's beards to hide their gayness so that they wouldn't be questioned or even put to death. And remember, the history of conversion therapy is still with us today. And as I read through the comments of a couple of articles in Q Spirit, which is a queer Christian website that explores theology and spirituality, my heart was saddened as message after message screamed in bold, capitalized text to how dare we misinterpret and misrepresent the biblical text this way. Not only does God not accept gay people, but Naomi was her mother-in-law. How dare you sexualize and twist the biblical text just to fit your lifestyle? Now, several things. Um, I'm happy to go through all of the verses that have been used against queer folks as clobber passages another time, um, if anyone is questioning those instances. But second, this kind of comment actually does a great deal of harm towards a portion of the LGBTQ plus community that's often overlooked, that being asexual folks. And let's get one thing straight. Queer love has been over-sexualized through the patriarchal male gaze. It assumes that by naming a sexuality that's outside of heterosexuality, that must mean they're overtly sexual and particularly sexually devious. But in reality, this isn't true. The beauty of the queer expression of love is that it isn't tied to any one expectation of what it should look like. Naomi and Ruth are very much expressing a love that doesn't fit into any sort of box. And this is what we mean by queering the biblical text. It is breaking it out of the expectation. It is attempting to remove our assumptions within the text. And even if you don't jive with this queer interpretation of Ruth and Naomi's story, that's okay. But remember, we create space here to play around a little bit with the biblical text, not to ask the questions of, is this perfectly accurate? But rather, what does this interpretation teach me or open me up to about Christ and Christ's living love or hesed for us? At the very least, I think the story teaches us about unwavering love to one another, um, especially in the midst of attempting to survive a world that has it out for us. Ruth accepted Naomi exactly for where she was, even though in their day they were both doomed. Their husband's death left them worthless in society's eyes. And yet Naomi and Ruth created a chosen family and stuck by each other's sides, even in the face of turmoil, shame, and rejection. This is the truth of queer community. It liberates. It loves. It weeps with one another. It rejoices. And at all costs, it sees, hears, and knows one another deeply. And this is our call in Christ as much as I can possibly articulate. Ruth's commitment to Naomi was probably legitimately life-saving for both of them. And so in this, may Ruth and Naomi be a beacon for us to look towards in our affirmation of one another. And at Mission Hills, we don't ever want there to be a doubt about the inclusion of LGBTQ folks as part of the body of Christ. While we strive to be a space where questions and doubts about our beliefs are welcome to be in conversation, one belief we don't have doubt about is this inclusion and belovedness of all. 
God has made every human being in God's own image and not only accepts but celebrates our diversity. And as such, we strive to be a place where all feel not just welcome to be a guest, but are truly essential to the life of our community. For some folks, maintaining relationships with their biological family just isn't an option after coming out. Chosen family can be just as strong, if not stronger. And we strive to be a family here, no matter how discombobulated we might sometimes feel in our lives. And I will never forget the first meal I shared with this Mission Hills community. To be real, it was pure chaos, and honestly, I loved it. It was the truest representation of family that I could even imagine. The group of people gathered didn't always make sense, but there was so much love and deep acceptance of each other, just as we were without trying to force a sterile image of perfection. If anything, sometimes I think we do our best to prove our imperfection for the sake of realizing that if we don't have to hold up our walls, striving to look or act a certain way that meets the expectation of the public, this is what being known is like. Life can be pure chaos, and if this year has taught me anything, it's that we are so fragile, yet so beloved. I'm reminded at the strangest of times, the power of being known. I wear a pride pin on my hospital badge to mark myself as someone who's affirming and to put to ease any doubt that someone may have when a chaplain enters the room. While I have received some backlash, it's more than worth it for the moments that the nurse I've talked to for over a year finally confides in me that her son is trans and she's so proud of him, but so disappointed in how healthcare continues to let their family down in order in terms of making a safe and affirming environment for him. It's worth it for the moment that I meet an older man's eyes and he comes out for the first time and still feels conflicted about how he feels about it because of how and when he grew up. It's worth it for the tears I see welling in someone's eyes when I use the right pronoun or chosen name. It's worth it for the anonymous messages I receive on social media from people who are nervous to question their faith because they've recently discovered their sexuality and don't want to be outed quite yet. The more that we create a space that is safe, the more we see the good fruit of what it means to affirm everyone for who they are, regardless of sexuality or gender. Even all of our allies in this community can probably relate to a moment where they felt seen for all of who they are and truly accepted by another. When we create safe, affirming environments for LGBTQ youth, suicidality drops significantly. The Trevor Project conducts a national survey every year, and here are some findings from the 2021 survey. This year, 42% of LGBTQ youth surveyed seriously considered attempting suicide in the past year, including more than half of transgender and non-binary youth. 12% of white youth attempted suicide compared to 31% of native indigenous youth, 21% of black youth, 21% of multiracial youth, 18% of Latinx youth, and 12% of Asian Pacific Islander youth. More than 80% of LGBTQ youth stated that COVID-19 made their living situations more stressful, and only one in three 
LGBTQ youth found their home to be LGBTQ affirming. However, transgender and non-binary youth who reported having pronouns respected by all of the people they lived with only attempted suicide at half the rate of those who did not have their pronouns respected by anyone with whom they lived. And transgender and non-binary youth who were able to change their names and or gender marker on legal documents such as driver's license, birth certificates, uh, reported lower rates of attempting suicide. As we can see, this is an extremely important manner. It's also incredibly intersectional. It's an access issue as well. And as I look around the physical location of Mission Hills Christian Church, I see all of the amazing effort that's gone into this space. The shutters Josh installed, all of the work the Masons did on the parsonage, garden, concrete projects, etc. Uh, the community garden, which even the sneaky gophers can't take away from us. The new floor and updated stage that Ryan surprised us with in all the best ways. This building represents our family of Mission Hills. And as we continue to build out this space, may we also be building a safe home for all people and continue to be a radical expression of God's love. May we be a home that feels warm, that feels accepting, and feels like a place where people can grow. This is what we are called to, both in the challenge, in the community, and in the radical gospel in which we come together. So I hope you all are looking forward to working through this text, uh, working through what it means to be continually affirming, um, continuing to create safe space in a home, um, what it looks like to celebrate National Coming Out Day, uh, which is October 11th every year, but we get to join as part of Solidarity Sunday. Um, and we'll, we'll go from there. So I'm excited for the discussion. I'm excited uh, just for this whole experience. And so as we go into our weeks, uh, may we love God, embrace beauty, and live life to the fullest. Amen.